Hello and welcome to the Gridiron Show from Gridiron Magazine, the Gridiron Group. Uh, check us out on Instagram at UK Gridiron, at Twitter at Gridiron, all those good things. Uh, and every week we bring you uh, what we think is some of the very best uh, content uh, in podcast form, in YouTube form, with myself, Will Gavin, uh, often with Simon Clancy, our features editor and the editor of the magazine overall, Ollie Connolly. Ollie, how are we doing, sir? Doing good, doing good, getting there. We are in the final 48 hours of putting together the preseason annual, which is a, an intensive task, I shall say. Kind of astonished that you are spending half an hour to 45 minutes <laughs> wittering with me, considering that is the case. But, you know, I was sitting here complaining, going, oh, I'm so tired after my holiday. Oh, I've got a sore throat. Oh, and you're like, yeah, I, I've, you know, got... 50,000 words still to edit. So whatever it is, I don't know what print work, how print works. Yeah. Print still works the old way. Print worked in like the 1920s, seemingly that the 4am in the morning, checking all the commas, which is a a delightful way to spend your Tuesday. Beautiful. Beautiful. Right. Uh, We're going to do a couple of mailbag questions potentially later in the show, but first we're going to go through the still best available NFL free agents. We're right at that point where you've got mini camps coming up, starting to deliver teams starting to see just how their 53 could take shape what their 75 is going to be whistled down to as well and where those holes might still stand that could be filled by a veteran still available out in the league now ollie actually sent me over a list of of his best available this is this was your list right just to be be clear this is why i'm a psychopath because why did i spend 45 minutes doing this and worrying about who was fifth and sixth which we'll never discuss and no one will ever see i don't know why i did that i feel like i want to do the list now in order just so people know the work you put into it um i did want to ask you something just macro before we got into the specifics of the names and stuff do you think there's a chance here with what happened with how the rams approached stuff last season with all that really matters who's on your roster post trade deadline and if you can have maybe a three-week runtime or just call eric weddle you know (laughs) we're in the postseason just call the best safety in the league and ask him to play for 60 snaps in the postseason do you think there's a chance some of these guys, the names that we have on this list, you're in Dominic Seuss, Rodell Beckham's, even Gronkowski, that they have decided, why am I going to turn up? We always know about training camp, right? And these guys have nagging injuries and aches and pains and all that kind of stuff. Why would you not wait till week 10? See who's really in the race and say, yeah, I'll go and spend, I don't know where it is, eight weeks in Green Bay. I won't spend 20 weeks there, but I'll go and spend six weeks in LA. I don't, I don't know about going all the way to somewhere like week 10 and and picking out. But I've always thought that these guys who don't sign a deal now, we look at this list and go, oh my word, how has X, Y, and Z not signed somewhere? A a couple of the names you mentioned, I mean, obviously we've got injury concerns. You look down this list, age, injury, availability is, is an issue with quite a few of these guys. But actually, say you are Rob Gronkowski, you know that... I mean, the likelihood is Rob Gronkowski probably ends up back in Tampa Bay with Tom and that whole thing happens. So why sign the same deal now that you're just going to sign in eight weeks time and put yourself through a bunch of mini camps, put your body through all of that. Just, you know, work out in your spare time to make sure you stay healthy and just keep enjoying your life. Particularly if you're someone like Rob Gronkowski and that is what you spend 99% of your life doing anyway. It's just enjoying yourself. 
I've always thought that that was the case with some of these these older guys is that they are waiting to to pick a place to catch on. And it's always why I think like you look at the kind of veteran quarterbacks that can be out there. I know we've not got any of those on this list. Maybe oh, there's one down the end. There's one right down at the end. <laughs> Still I don't hanging know. on. Still I don't. On. I don't think he's choosing to be available. That's, <laughs> I'm just saying that. But I always think like guys like if there was a if Ryan Fitzpatrick was still intending to come back to the league this year yeah why put yourself through a mini camp like what's what's the point why even put yourself through training camp just rock up for the fourth preseason game knowing that somebody needs a veteran backup go and sign your deal for seven million dollars maybe play in the fourth preseason game and then bang straight in even that at this point i think the certain positions if you're playing offensive line or you're playing quarterback you want to be in the building as soon as possible to get the chemistry up and to learn the playbook and all that stuff but there's so much transitive stuff between all the teams now that like the verbiage is all the same. There's not really that much variance from team to team anymore. I need to side the ball. And if you're like an edge rusher and you're drafting like Melvin Ingram last year, it was your job is 20 snaps a game, run into the quarterback's face. You can do that in Baltimore. You can do that in LA. You can do that in Cincinnati. It doesn't really matter where you do. You have one job and you just go and execute it. Someone like Julio Jones, I get they have a finite amount of time to make money and obviously you get paid more if you play the full season. That totally makes sense to me. But if I'm Julio Jones, I am really hanging on for as long as possible. And I don't think with Julio, it is even his choice. I think it's obviously medical stuff. But if I'm him, I'm just waiting and waiting. Wait the six weeks out, survey the injury landscape, survey who are the the strongest contenders and make your pick and push it as far as you can and, and get as healthy as possible. Particularly someone like Julio Jones, who is a Hall of Fame level wide receiver and sits just so people know at number six on the meticulous list of Mr. <laughs> Ollie Connolly of his top available free agents. Uh, oh, who could be ahead of him? Well, let's find out. <laughs> um, look, I, I think particularly when you're someone like that, who is at a point in your career where you've earned a lot of money, where you're a Hall of Famer already, and you're just going, right, get me a ring, get me a championship. I came very, very close once. Let's go out and find the team that is going to be able to do that for me. Uh, you know, we see it with basketball free agents probably more than you do with, with NFL free agents. But I always think like Weddle did it last year. Perfect for him. That's Perfect. exactly. We, we was a lot of, of course, there was a lot of focus uh, on what happened uh, kind of elsewhere within that team. I mean, Odell Beckham getting his ring this after everything that happened in Cleveland, of course, and and Matt Stafford getting his ring after getting the big trade was such a big deal. Uh, the left tackle from Cincinnati, uh, whose name is just completely lost Whitworth. for some reason. Yeah, Andrew Whitworth, of course. Like there was so many. There were other stories that were probably more heavily focused on, but. Eric Weddle played it absolutely beautifully. Oh, yeah. yeah, I'm retired, guys. I'm retired, guys. I'm retired, guys. What, a Super Bowl favourite wants to side me? Yeah, go on, then. Why not? And for a couple of weeks, a couple of million dollars, and this is what I'm talking about with where the game's at now. I mean, the guy was, what did he say? He was, like, playing beach football or something, and that's somehow he kept in shape. I forget the specifics of this. And then it's for a Rams team, right, where everyone talks about, oh, they're so innovative. It's really complex. What a clever team by you know his second day in the building they're like you can have the green dot you know as much as anyone else it's like you can just run the defense when you'd be on the beach for 16 weeks that that to me if particularly if i am one of those guys you mentioned a guy who's going to be a hall of fame you've either won one or you've not won the one you want the gronks the julio jones is the indomitian sues I, I would be dragging out as long as possible now looking at the list from the kind of the, the bird's eye view of this the thing that stands out is you know, a lot of repetitive positions, a lot of stuff that's in the trenches. Uh, and uh, we should probably, let's start with the pass catchers because we've already mentioned sure. a couple of them already. So we had Julio Jones coming in at six, above him on the list, and actually right in at your number one spot, Odell Beckham Jr. 
I guess it makes sense as a guy who's a completely transcendent talent. Uh, the Super Bowl injury means that he could be somebody who ends up sitting on the shelf right up until we get to the crux of the season. Yeah, and it's, it feels like what the deal is there is he's going to re-sign with the Rams and it's a matter of when, right? Not if, and it's hit. They all know the deal and it's just whether he wants to decide to play football and when he wants to decide to play football. And he might well be the thing you're saying of, I'll, I'll do that contract, but I'm waiting till week one. I don't need to be doing preseason or training camp. We all know, you know, he was already there and figured it all out in what a fortnight last season. I don't think it's going to be too hard for him to pick up this year and he's rehabbing anyway. So he may as well do that away from the building. He is the one who sits right in a completely different tier to the rest of these guys. Odell Beckham, if he hadn't wound up, let's say in Green Bay, it would be transformative to their offense if he's even 70% of the player he was just last season. Whereas the rest of the guys, you are really thinking, can I squeeze some juice out of Anthony Barr? Probably not. Is Eric Flowers the guy from Washington? Is he the guy from New York? Who knows? We don't fancy taking the chance. So it is a lot of those guys. Why isn't a Green Bay or somebody then going, do you know what? We need pass catchers. I know he's not going to be available, but we know he's a transcendent talent. Let's pay him double what anyone else will pay him because that's still only going to be single-figure millions because of the injury. I've stopped trying to make sense of Green Bay's receiver (laughs) strategy, which which appears to be just like, if we can protect Darren Rodgers, he will figure it out. He'll make people superstars and that's all well and good. But didn't he just spend two years moping around like an emo-y teenager because they didn't get him enough pass catches even though he had the best one in the league. And if I was them, I mean, I don't know what the, the the finances of what these guys are asking for. Maybe they do just want young, sprightly, quicker legs on the perimeter. That can make some sense. But I would I would just bring them all in. Remember, um, the Pats used to do this. They would just go and get for like two days a Jennings at the end of his career, a Bolden at the end of his career, and say, let's see. Oh, no, it's not going to work. Shake hands. Didn't Reggie Wayne go there for a couple of days? I seem to remember Then He retired. I, I think that's correct. So... Uh, if I was the Packers, I would bring all these guys in one by one. Just, you know, why not bring Julio in and see if him and Rogers click? I think that makes sense. The, the other pass catchers on this list, still all at the kind of towards the top end. We mentioned Rob Gronkowski already, uh, who was in at five. Uh, the other two, availability could be an issue with at least one of them, maybe both. Uh, we've got Will Fuller and Antonio Brown, both still major top 10 as two guys who, I mean, obviously talented both of whom could not be in the league next season in theory yeah uh brown obviously not yeah it, it's funny I don't because know who takes a chance no I and mean, really, why, I mean, why could on. you even be bothered at this point and, and it's only you know this thing about you, ha- you know the legal sign anyone who's talented well it doesn't really matter if no one else will sign him no then it's like a net loss for no one right no one's got the talented player it's only a problem when you sign greg hardy if you thought someone else might possibly sign greg hardy i guess if you're trying to rationalized grotesque moves no one is going to bring that into the locker room why would you even be bothered because you sign him on the tuesday lord knows what will happen on the wednesday right you just can't what a stressful life to live it's stressful enough i imagine to run an nfl team than to invite that into your life um so that to know though he was quite legitimately the best receiver in the nfl over a five-week stretch last season he was out of his mind uh, right before the, the game where it all obviously turned to carnage. Um, the Will Fuller one, that to me is as simple as he's he's a clear one-trick pony, right? Mm-hmm. And he's getting older, so how much is that trick still there? You'd probably rather have Deshaun Jackson maybe even at this point of his career, and he's 35 now. Um, and you can get that one-trick skill set in an undrafted free agent for a fraction of the, the cost. Will Fuller f- at 28 feels like he's 35. <laughs> yeah. It's the Mike Wallace, right? One day it's just going to go. 
and you don't want to be like the team left holding the bag that the day the, the legs dropped by 2%. It's like, wow, this was such a pointless sign. We just threw two, $2 million of the owner's money away. Um, the, the other guys kind of uh, just to look at the top end of the list, a couple of offensive linemen, there are offensive linemen almost right the way through this list, but, but coming in at that top level, JC Tressor, the center, Dwayne Brown, the, the left tackle, another guy who has had some availability problems, but yeah, also has signed for bad teams at the wrong moments and, you know, has delivered relatively decent level play for yeah. some bad teams. Needs a new agent. Doesn't he represent himself, actually? Yeah, he's one of those yeah, right. he's very, So he needs an agent. Needs because, an agent. <laughs> Dwayne, I am available if you need me. I don't know much about contract law, but I reckon I can do a better job. Just saying. And the availability thing, you know... It, is an essential point to make, but so many of these contracts now are paper play, right? When you get to, to this level and it's kind of the last deal, you maybe give them 500 grand a million up front and then it's just paper for play from then on. And if Dwayne Brown is healthy and playing, he's still proven to be an effective player. The Tretter one's the bigger one, right? He didn't even practice all last season yet. He still played out of his mind when he was available. And the most obvious landing spot there is the Niners, right? They have this need at center. Alex Mack leaves that system, whether they're going to run the wide zone, classic Shanahan stuff, or if it's going to be all the way to the pistol and Trey Lance or some combination, most likely of trying to blend the two, you cannot plug that rookie into that spot. Already the Shanahan system is incredibly demanding on the center position because that does all, all the checks, resets everything versus the front because of the way the wide zone is set up does all the pass protection for the quarterback too so the life's easier for the QB it would be very unfair to either slide run skill across and say you're playing center now figure all that out in an off season or to do the same thing to a rookie would just be unfair it's too mentally demanding to have that and a first year starter a quarterback so that one seems like at some point it will just happen and if he's not got the legs anymore then then you know at least they'll have time to, to bring a young guy along we're at that astonishing point in the NFL now. Like I started to look at salary cap numbers and things like that. And I just thought to myself, do you know what? I just, why do I even bother? Because the fact is, is that the Niners are down to kind of sub 5 million in, in salary cap and they've got to extend Debo and they've got to extend Bosa. But with both of those extensions, if they juggle it in the right way, they can just push that money forward. Yeah. And actually, actually those guys will be cheaper this year than they are on their rookie deals, despite the fact they've just signed $100 million plus deals yeah. with huge guarantees and, and everything else. And and the fact is that's without the Garoppolo factor of there's 20 to 25 million, which you save yep. trade or cut him anyway. So yeah, I just... And there's a magic money tree here because they're all pushing the money into the future because the broadcast deals for at least two networks plus the Amazon deal is up in what, 27, 25. So the cap is just going to explode through the ceiling, particularly once they're out of the, the pandemic hit stuff that they had from last year. So just pushing, like we had questions coming in about the AJ Brown's contract and it's a $37 million year there on the book. It's like, no one is ever going to pay AJ Brown as good as your $37 million. They'll move it to whatever they need to move it to, or the cap will be so high that that'll be a fractional percentage that, that is in real terms this year, $20 million anyway. So that the cap is not a complete mirage, not a complete lie, but it is fun to see how teams have figured out what chicanery and what cap manipulation you can do. If you really like the saints, you know, dedicate your entire identity to being the team who can basically evade the cap as much as possible.
Um, the, the other O-lineman on this list, and it does worry me that we only get to 13 and we're already at Eric Flowers. But <laughs> Eric Flowers was really good last year. And Eric Flowers, uh, and I only know this, I will say, it's not like I'm grinding every Eric Flowers play on tape. because I didn't, don't, I, don't lie to us. I, we know I, you're doing exactly that. No, I, I protested the Heineke years. I loved watching Heineke as a like red zone player. Really fun on all 22. I could not do the Heineke experience. But Mark Bullock, a fantastic writer, covers uh, the Washington Commanders in the, the the goriest of details possible for anyone who cares about that kind of thing. And, and he's been writing about flowers from the first flower stint to the second flower stint. He has been unbelievable, specifically in Washington and moving positions. Then he goes anywhere else and he's a disaster. So Washington deciding to let him go is a concern, but he was legitimately good last year. And, and same with Daryl Williams, who I have just below him, these young, you know, mid to late 20s we talk so much about these young tackles coming into the league and how long it takes them to adapt and how difficult that transition is without the amount of practice time well here you get guys who have at least all the reps and i think both of them are worth just swing tackles backup tackles injury prevention taking a swing on and saying well at worst case scenario they at least know all the checks they know the position they know the tendencies of the guys across them because they've now been in the league long enough to be veterans the rest of the top 10 for me is rounded out by a couple of guys who very much go back into that mold that we talked about at the top of the show of the, sorry, why would I bother signing for somebody now? Like, genuinely, what's what? where's the, the value of me being at a team at the moment? Uh, Anthony Barr, obviously, long time uh, with the Minnesota Vikings, feels like one of those that there'll be a big training camp injury and he's just somebody who can plug and play into so many defensive schemes. And then Justin Houston, who seems to roll back the years whenever he does get on the field, yep. he just likes to come on the field later in the year because, you know, he's at that point in his career now. Yeah, that one has the Rams written all over it too, I feel like, doing the, the mid-season one and trying to find a kind of Vaughn um, spark plug later in the year. Um, the Anthony Barr one's tough. I'm actually surprised at myself. I put him that high. I may have made a mistake there because I just think he's... <laughs> I, I was slightly surprised, but I didn't want to question the great I, man. Why? I think he's completely cooked, unfortunately. The, the thing you mentioned that it is interesting with him is he can play anywhere. So maybe if you just play him on the line of scrimmage as an end man, you could get something out of that. And that might be worthwhile if you're one of these Fangio, Staley-style systems where you're playing with five or six guys along the front. So he's, he's kind of the, the widest guy in there. Um, other than that, it's tough because his whole, the whole point of having Anthony Barr on your team is he could, he could track backwards, essentially, in a way that few others could, matched only really by Bobby Wagner when he had to curl out of there. But having said that, I, I thought Bobby Wagner was completely cooked last year, and yet Sean McVay seems positively excited about working with what looks like a fossilized Bobby Wagner in his 13th year in the league. Oh, but he's so intelligent. They'll be able to figure something out, surely. <laughs> Come on, surely. Um, yeah, that, that figure something out is Jalen will cover up for everything on the back end. The rest of our defense stinks, and Jalen's got it. I mean, I, there was a part of my brain that thought maybe Dante Hightower and, and Anthony Barr are the wrong way around, but actually Dante Hightower down at 17 has all of the same problems in that, you know, scheme versatile, brilliant player, did everything he did for the Patriots and was arguably the best player on that defense through two or three Super Bowl runs, yeah. but feels like he's a shell of the man at this point. No, and I don't want to get too bogged down into the nitty gritty of the schemes here, but I've spoken to you before about how Belichick changed his front last year in a way that was counterintuitive to the rest of the league and the way they kind of fit up the run allowed... Um, 
the linebackers to basically crack an uncapped guard, which means that the first line of the defensive line is not bothering with the guards. The linebackers fly downhill and they, they basically crease the, the guard in the face. That's why he had, obviously, Dante Hightower, a big physical guy driving downhill. Kyle Van Noy, big physical guy. These aren't the JOKs, right? These these hybrid defenders, these Isaiah Simmonses that everyone says they're looking for. Well, even Belichick has said, yeah, as much as that worked for 12 weeks last season, we just can't do that in the postseason anymore. The, the league doesn't work that way. So he bounced those two guys. And if you're not playing that old school Oki front in 2022, Dante Hightower, he's just stuck in mud at this point. That, that's his that's his job. He still remains. If you are into this kind of thing, which, you know, there are some weirdos out there like me, Will, who love to watch uh, linebackers come down and fit the run and just blast pulling linemen. That is still fun in 2022 we're allowed to have uh, some in the box football I feel like but if you're not doing that it's kind of just a waste of a player at this point I know one of them Belichick tried running that that kind of scheme last year so you would be asking an awful lot from him at this point I, I think someone brings him in just for the veteran stuff and just maybe there's something there right if he's only playing 10 to 12 snaps a game but but not as a as an every down player anymore I think there's a few guys on that ro- rotational fronts that that you see on this list and actually a couple of defensive linemen I was going to mention next Sheldon Richardson you've got an 11 and Dominican Sue I mean Sue just seems to come in and still make explosive plays <laughs> he's it's just, so good it's just it's unreal how just what a physical person and I kind of I feel like Dominican Sue is one of those who between his own reputation for not necessarily being the nicest human being on and off the field and the fact that he existed towards the end of his peak at the beginning of the kind of Aaron Donald peak meant that he never really got the respect he did. But the guy is absolute Hall of Fame to me, and I do not understand the people who kind of rally against. The quality of the play is so high. Yes. But you look at both those guys, you think, in a good rotation with a good line around them, you think about that Eagles team that went to the Super Bowl, you think about that Niners team that went and lost to the Chiefs a couple of years ago, a team that does that where they have eight starting guys that can all rotate in and out, they'd love either of these guys in their lineup. Yeah, that's the exact point. You want to roll eight deep into the playoffs. I mean, if you can, that's obviously the magic number. Um, And again, this seems like one where it's the books kind of, um, inoculated themselves against having to bring Indomitian Sue back because they were in that bring the band back together mode again, weren't they? Once Brady said he was coming back, they draft Logan Hall, which was kind of a, we can move on from you if, if, if we need to, but you know, I mean, if Todd Bowles is taking the head coaching job, you think he doesn't want Indomitian Sue just sat right there in the middle of the line of scrimmage. There's no way they want to put Logan Hall out there to try and win a Super Bowl in year one as their kind of premier get off the ball and go nose tackle alongside Vita Vea. So I'm sure they want Ndamukin Subat. Uh, the thing with him, I, I think it's more the, I think the general fan, both in the UK and the US, got smarter because Twitter became the hub of all conversation, right? And you had everyone trying to outsmart people, right? Who's the smartest person in the room? So defensive line play and acknowledging that was kind of a badge of honor that you knew mm-hmm. football, right? Which it always has been, but it kind of became this echo chamber in the football ecosystem. Um, if... Twitter had been around for Indomitian Sue in college and those first two years in the NFL, we would be considering him as the greatest defensive tackle in the history of the game. And it would be neck and neck with who, you know, who do you have Jordan LeBron? Do you have Sue or Donald? I I think that's how we we would view it. Tell me a little bit about, because I'm going to kind of do the bottom five altogether in a bit. Okay. The the one other, the one other name was that's on this list that kind of interested me where he landed was Kevin King in at 15 because Still only 27 years old, obviously had injury problems, 
And then when he came back with the Packers last year was very rotational. Like I think mm-hmm. he never played more than kind of 40% of snaps from week 10, week 11 onwards. Is there anything that you saw from him, particularly last season, but looking at the last couple of years of tape that made you think that a kid that they got very excited about in his first few years in the league could ever step back up to that level? Because if if he could and somebody can go and get a corner for a million, one and a half million, who ends up being a, a contributor when you're getting into nickel and dime and starting to play lots of defensive backs, then it feels like he could be a steal for some. I'm really surprised Seattle didn't go and take him. Now they've, they've, really change their defensive structure. But Pete Carroll loves nothing more. He still coaches DBs day to day, and he's probably, along with Saban, the best in the business at actually coaching. They have a bizarrely specific footwork technique, which dates back to like the 70s for how Pete Carroll teaches these cornerbacks. If you were just looking at profile of player and our roster stinks, wouldn't you say, well, maybe I can get something out of this guy because the profile is pretty perfect and I'm the best at teaching this footwork stuff. Maybe I can clean this all up and it, un- and it unlocks a whole a whole bunch. So Darren Bench just walks into the room. What's the problem? If I got a spare, oh, you need the toilet. Right, good. Do you want to come on our NFL podcast and talk about the Eagles? <laughs> he won our fantasy league. No, no. Yeah, and he's still smug about it. With a real draft or an auto draft, did he sit there? I can't no, imagine no, Darren Bench draft. sat there. He actually does know his stuff. He does know his stuff, actually. But yeah, he... Um... He's not shut up about it the whole time. He's, he keeps talking about buying a ring. <laughs> to wear around the office. <laughs> the lovely man, absolutely lovely man. Um, very annoyed that they didn't take him out to the Super Bowl this year. I don't know why NFL UK don't use him. Genuinely, sorry. Where were we? Where Kevin uh, King? Kevin uh, King. I do have Kevin. Yeah. Um, what, what did I want to say? Oh, the thing with Kevin King that is difficult for him, I think, is he's kind of being caught trapped in this mini evolution of the league where everyone changed their defensive structures to the Fangio Staley stuff with too high with zone coverage. He is a beat everyone up press and trail corner who's bad in man coverage. He runs a very specific kind of coverage, which is where he's at his best, which is basically using the sideline as, a, as an assist, which is all that Seattle, what we call match three stuff. That is just vanished from the league now because everyone beat it up for the last five years. So he's just a one-dimensional corner the way you would get a one-dimensional receiver at a time when the league does not want that stuff. And when he's played in pure zone, he has been completely lost. So I, I just not sure where he would necessarily even fit. Maybe, as you said, if you're just happy with him being a rotational piece or if you're someone who thinks if you spend a year with him, you could maybe tap into them, some of that potential. But the league just just is fine moving on from these guys now. Uh, yeah, part of that as well is that if you're wanting, if you're thinking to yourself, oh, I see the raw talent there, I can develop it. We well, don't want to give him a one-year deal, but you don't want to give someone like Kevin King more than a one-year deal <laughs> yes. right now. Like nobody wants to give him push any money into a second year. No one's hopefully that stupid. Um, right. So I said I wanted to lump the last five in together, and I've missed. I have missed out Larry Ogunjobi, which now I feel bad about. Do you want to talk about Larry Ogunjobi a bit? Yeah, well, he's only not, he got that big deal from the Bears, right? With the Bears who refused to help Justin Fields, but decided to buy a two down player. Bizarre decision, which they then backed out of. Someone got in their ears and said, what are we doing? This makes no sense. And you know, they, he's defensive, not offensive tackle, right? <laughs> oh, he's shit. Gone wrong side of the ball. Yeah. Um, and so then they got out of that with some kind of Negenson, I think. So that it must be, you know, unfortunately pretty bad if the rest of the league has just not gone in for him because he could, he could start for any team in the league. And why? with Cleveland not try and bring him back so uh, the, yeah that one seems purely physical but if you can get him on a pay for play deal which is unfortunate for him I mean I would snap that up if I was any team in the league right I'm gonna go through the last five mm-hmm. and we're gonna try and consider what is an actual landing spot for this person okay 
without considering, okay, if there's an injury, maybe somebody's going to take a flyer on them. Yep. So Landon Collins. Yeah, Landon Collins, the problem with him is he still wants to call himself a safety and play as a safety, and he's really a linebacker. Um, and he is actually being one of the best, and I, I mean this sincerely, RPO raises in the league. Um, and so if you can get him into the AFC West as your third safety, that would be a huge win for anyone. And I know they've signed 9,000 safeties over the last four years <laughs> with Mayock and Gruden, so I'm sorry to do it to you guys, but if I'm if I'm the Raiders... You know, Patrick Graham's defense is different. You just plant him there in the slot. You tell him to touch no one, but to sit on the RPO. That that's what he does as well as any defensive back in the league. And that I would, I would, I would. If I was the Raiders, I, I would, I'm actually really surprised they haven't done that already. He talks. You're talking me into it. I looked at this whole list and it's like <laughs> nothing here gets me gets me hot under the collar. But that's no good shout. Good shout, uh, Jamie Collins. Just a bizarre one. I don't know how you use him anymore. There was a stat going around the other day that he has like he's the most he blitzes more than any linebacker in the history of the league, and he has the worst efficiency. And this is including the peak <laughs> Jamie Collins years when he had those like three dominant years in New England, right? Then left, then came back. I mean, last year was just embarrassing. So I I, I don't I don't know what you do with him anymore in this year. I, I feel it just probably ends up back in New England <laughs> yeah, in about yeah, three yeah. or four months' time, back in a rotation, not doing a huge amount, but. You know, Bill believes uh, if he's going to bring Butler back, then I'm sure he can bring Jamie Collins back for a year as well. Uh, Jason Pierre-Paul. Now, I, I he had some plays. There were some plays on film last year where you looked and went, that is an explosive, game-changing play that is worth spending some money on. I just, I feel like at edge with the draft we've just had, and in fact, I've lumped Carl Nassib into this as well, most people went out and got an, a, a young edge rusher in this draft somewhere, or they did it in free agency, or they, like, I just don't see an obvious landing spot for either of these guys immediately. Yeah, the problem for these guys is the team that's crying out for edge help is the Cardinals, um, and they just don't play in a way that would really suit the Cardinals unless unless Vance Joseph decided to, to kind of change how he uses but, but- the defensive line. But PFF had Cliff Kingsbury as their fourth best head coach in their rankings this week. It did not. Yeah, they did. <laughs> um, so surely, surely that they can figure out as an organization how to use these guys on the edge, right? That's a rough one. That's a rough one. <laughs> I, Nassib would work really well in Cleveland. Whether they would do that, I'm not sure. I'm loathly of any good players to Cleveland at the moment for moral reasons. Um, and I, I would like JPP in one of those really annoying um, Matt Eberflus-style defenses. I, I think that the Colts are probably going in a different direction stylistically this year. He'll be pointless to have him in Chicago for whatever that's going to be. And I will just say right now, I'm calling this one, Will. Robert Quinn to the Rams, free trade deadline. Sorry, is it 2015? What's happened? <laughs> Robert Quinn was outrageously good last season, and the Bears are going to stink, and Robert Quinn will be on the trade block by week six, week seven. I'm going to have him down to the Rams. So, Michael, our producer, you can clip this up and make me look really smart by imagine, week eight. Imagine if you're Robert Quinn, though, and you go back to the Rams just after they've won a ring and they don't, and then go back and not win a championship with them. <laughs> like, it's just it's a real kick there. Yeah, you go and spend some time on the Bears. <laughs> <laughs> and come back when we're good. Oh man, that's uh, rough. And then the other one was Cam Newton. Yeah. What do you think about Cam? I mean, any chance? It, a lot of it depends on his. And there are still some teams, obviously, who are quarterback needy and, and you know, 
Carolina, funnily enough, being one of them, uh, Seattle being the other obvious one. But part of it is his expectations and how he sets himself and how he approaches it. And I know you want a guy that is going to go and approach things like they're a starter and behave <laughs> and, you know, really bring that work ethic. But he believes he should still be starting in the NFL. And yeah. I have seen nothing on tape in the last few years that makes me believe that I, he should be believing that. No, he just can't move anymore. And if he can't move, what is the whole point of this thing? And it really is. And I'm not bringing Colin Kaepernick into it just to bring Colin Kaepernick into it. But why on earth would you not take Colin Kaepernick over Cam Newton if you are any of the, if you're that desperate that you're not doing Garoppolo, you're not doing Baker Mayfield? For some reason, you look around and you decide Drew Locke is a thing. Lord knows why. Why would you not just take the Kaepernick punt, see what happens, rather than do the Cam Newton, the fossilized Cam Newton at this point? I'm going to tell you more about that uh, PFF head coaching rankings. <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> After that. So, Where I self-combust on, on camera. So, so look, this, this whole thing was, it's looking at coaches who properly account for a team's talent level. They're saying it's easy to win when you've got a, a good team around you and predict something less volatile than wins is what they say. So they've created a multi-level model oh, with a course. fixed effect of the salaries <laughs> of each starter on both sides of the ball, including an indicator of the player as a rookie and the target is points scored or allowed in a season. So they've gone through and they've figured out basically how well they've coached the players based on their salary value, time in the league and everything, and based on that given a ranking. Now these are all these are kind of all time rankings. They go back to 2011 in terms of a, a coach's overall performance. It seems they've not included new head coaches. They've not included Josh McDaniels, Brian Dable, Eberflus, Hackett, McDaniel, Kevin O'Connell, any of those. So they have a tier that they called Hall of Fame head coaches. I bet mm -hmm. you can imagine the three that are yeah, in there. Yeah, it's yeah. not difficult. Bill yeah. Belichick, John Harbour, Andy Reid. Tier two, no Tomlin. That's interesting. Nope. <laughs> tier two, good coaches. Cliff Kingsbury is in at four. Ahead of McVeigh and Tomlin. I mean, having him, this is the problem with, with this kind of stuff. And I like the people over PFF. I'm not going to take loads of PFF shots. If your model spits out Cliff Kingsbury at four, the model is wrong. Go back to the drawing board. It's not one of those ones where it's like, oh, it's, it's, it's proven something interesting that most people don't think. That is just factually wrong if Cliff Kingsbury is ahead of Sean McVeigh and Mike Tomlin. Uh, Mike Tomlin and Sean McVeigh are both in the same bracket. They're both mm -hmm. in the good coach oh, good. bracket. So also in the good coach bracket, <laughs> Matt LaFleur, Kyle Shanahan, Mike Vrabel, Frank Reich is in there. Oh, tasty. Mike McCarthy is in there. <laughs> <laughs> he, did, he did go visit there that one time in uh, 2018, whatever it was. Uh, McVeigh at 11, Brandon Staley at 12, obviously it's a small McVeigh at 11, wow. Uh, and then Mike Tomlin at 13. Didn't they take Jared Goff to the Super Bowl? Am I, did, I, did I miss that? Yeah, that happened. That happened. And then on average coaches, Nick Sirianni, Doug Peterson, Sean McDermott, who, I mean, I don't... Oh, my word. I think you beats me of a bunch of these people. Lovey Smith, Ron Rivera, Kevin Stefanski, and Arthur Smith. I mean... I guess Atlanta were a bad team in his first year and he did what he could to get something out of them. But you know, there's other people out. I do like that Zach Taylor is in the room for improvement. <laughs> Along with Todd Bowles, Dan Campbell, Matt Rule. I mean, that's maybe kind. Dennis Allen and Robert Sala. They've been very kind to just call it a room for improvement yeah, yeah. bracket and not anything nastier. But yeah, I just, you know. Wow. 
Cliff Kingsbury at four is that is outrageous. Just mind blowing. Just mind blowing. Didn't we see them when he didn't have Kyler Murray? Wasn't it an apocalypse? And then he yeah. got Kyler Murray, and he was magically a good coach. Then was he? Mm-hmm. And, and what about when DeAndre Hopkins isn't in the lineup? I don't worry about it. Just... Or what about when he had Patrick Mahomes in college and he couldn't win more than six games? <laughs> isn't he? It didn't he have a slew of great? Uh, he had Patrick Mahomes. Or he had Baker Mayfield. He had everyone. Oh God! Anyway, I feel like we've torn into him almost totally unnecessarily there, but uh, I'll be very happy. We had to bring some Clancy love. <laughs> but he's not actually here. He hates PFF and <laughs> hates Cliff Kingsbury, so it all ties in beautifully for him. Uh, did we have any mailbag questions? While we've got about five minutes or so to round off the podcast, was there anything we did want to? Because we asked for them, so people sent yes. them in. We should probably do them. But guys, do fun ones. Yes, fun we want ones. Some fun, fun and silly stuff. We do the serious stuff ourselves. I know. I know I come across as a nerd. I think that's the problem. People want to tap into the nerd, like almost like Rayman, like they could take come me to Vegas. Come across as a nerd. <laughs> Definitely not just am a nerd. Uh, the one that, were, that um, multiple people sent was ranking the second year QBs and where we kind of had them in the pecking order heading into this thing. I know we can't. Was, was that after last week when I went, <laughs> yeah, but Mac Jones is going to be the fifth best second year QB this year, so it doesn't matter. I think so. So I do want to know get you on record now what we'll do is where will the consensus have these guys after the season so rather than where they're at right now based on the dynamics of what we know going into the year who will be where in the consensus pecking order after the season so my order of the what what are we doing the top five guys the top five guys yeah well if you want to throw davis mills and wow paul mac jones it's gonna slide Uh (laughs) <laughs> I was just thinking, where does Kellen Mond finish above Matt Jones? <laughs> uh, okay. Of the first round guys, I think at the end of the year, despite the fact that... The problem is you're saying the consensus and people look so much at wins and losses. Like, I wouldn't be surprised if we got to a position where if Trey Lance starts from week one and they win 13 games, even if his performances are not you know, yeah. top, top tier. People are going, yeah, well, Trey Lance is obviously the best quarterback out of that class because look at their performances. I think Trevor Lawrence will emerge this year as the guy that we know him to have been and didn't get to show last year. That's the one I really believe in. So I'm going to put Tre- I'm gonna Trevor Lawrence first. Do you know what? I- I'm going to keep Mac Jones in second because wow. I just think I- on year two... The consensus will get will have him there. And then I'm gonna go Lance Fields Wilson. But I feel bad on Zach Wilson. Uh, oh, I don't feel bad on Zach Wilson. It's you it, so we went for the consensus. My list is Lawrence, Lance, Fields, Jones, Wilson. But there we go. Um, I, I like that list. I I I did this mailbag question on the read optional in, in excruciating detail that I'll link to in the um <laughs> rather than giving me 30 seconds to answer. <laughs> um, Thanks, mate. Um I, the and that's all it was a byproduct to get me to be able to finally write about this tra- whole Trey Lance thing. I, I just think it's gonna be so, so much fun when you start piecing the puzzle pieces together and you start picturing what can happen on just a simple two-way go read where you have Debo Samuel, Brandon Ayuk, George Kittle, Juszczyk as a lead blocker. It's like, how can he not be dominant? And then he can run the ball. It, it would be illogical for him to not be good. 
unless he's terrible from the pocket, which I dig into in the piece. So I, I think by the end of the year, Lawrence, because he looks the most like an Andrew Luck type player, and he'll get the benefit of the doubt of the team being bad because he'll be excellent. And it'll be like, oh, if he just got some help, he'd be so special. Um, if so if Jacksonville win five games this year, it's a miracle. people are going, <laughs> Trevor Lawrence. Yeah. 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 Like, yeah. I agree with you. So I'm going to go Lawrence. I think Lance, I think it's going to be so magical right out of the box of people, like you said, are going to get maybe a bit carried away because maybe it could catch up to him by the second year, the third year. If there's not development, but I think it's, those pieces fit together so seamlessly that that should be great. Then Jones, then Fields, who is just completely hard done by, by shocking circumstances. And then, you know, my thoughts on Zach Wilson. Yeah, I'd, fair. I'd, let's have consensus Lawrence and Wilson at either end. Lance in second, and then I think Fields and Jones are almost flippable based on... I, Chicago can't be good this year. There's, there's nothing... Be. There's literally nothing to say this year, right? There's, there's no nothing about their draft, the coaching, the free agent signings, the and the fact that their speak. best players outside of Roquan Smith are guys who are most likely asked to be moved during the year. I'm trying. I I I, I started looking at maybe going to Chicago for Week One for 49ers at Bears. Uh, as part of a little road trip because it works quite nicely with the other games that are around week one. But yeah, I went to a Bears game week one a few years ago when they played the uh, Packers on opening night and it was one of the worst games of football I've ever seen in my life, whether in person or on TV or anywhere. Was that the 40 points by the half or something like that? No, no, no. It was, it was a dross low scoring game, but it was just an absolute what's the opposite of a masterclass <laughs> that game yeah the, the, yeah and the antithesis of a masterclass from a coaching perspective uh oh yeah it was awful it was, was that a naggy mccarthy ball yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah and it was painful anyway right that'll wrap us up <laughs> good sending more mailbag questions that was quite a fun one uh at uh, gridiron at uk gridiron on instagram or hit us up uh, on the emails that ollie gave out the other week uh drop us a line with any other ideas you've got for shows anything you want us to be covering and keep an eye out for the preseason annual because it's going to be absolutely massive ollie's been working his fingers to the literal bone uh, don't show them on camera it's disgusting to see uh, and it's going to be brilliant so go and subscribe to that get it from the website get it from your local wh smith or wherever else you can buy you great mags thank you for listening this has been the gridiron show Thank you.